Restore his people by cleansing judgment to God's glory. Good morning again. 弟兄姊妹和朋友们平安. Peace to you, friends and members. I pray that as we are locked down, we will stay positive and we will keep away from the complaining spirits. Well, my name is Luke. It is a privilege to open God's Word together this morning. For those that don't know me, one thing that bothers me is when things don't work the way they're supposed to. Or if you ask my kids, they will tell you, I like to fix things. I like to get things back to their usable or good condition. When we first moved to China, we bought a small car, a four-door hatchback. After a few years, the car was well-loved, but also well-used and well-worn. It has seen as many as three car seats, experienced us eating in the car, dropping crumbs, and spilling drinks. The car withstood diaper blowouts and throwing off from car sicknesses. Kids stepping on the seats and kicking the front seat backs, making them dirty. We have put all kinds of things in the trunk, ended up leaving many stains. When we found out Anita was pregnant with our fourth child, we decided to get a larger car, which ended up being the minivan we still drive now. But back then, I had to travel often to another city for work. So we kept a smaller car so I could drive back and forth. Me liking to keep things in a good condition decided to see how I might be able to restore the interior of our little car. One thing I found out quickly was that many of the dirtiness and the stain, especially on our car seat and floor mat, simply could not be cleaned out. After asking the local car repair shop, I decided to replace the seat cover and the floor mats. So the local car repair shop had to remove the seats from the car, take off the old covers and replace them with a new set of covers. I took my old floor mat, threw them away, and replaced them with a new set of floor mats. I enjoyed that nice feeling, you know, getting into my refreshed car, even though it was already an old car. I remember once I was driving with a 
coworker after I did this, he asked if if it was a new car. And when I said that the car was four years old already, he was like, wow, you kept it in a really new condition. I had to tell him that it was actually dirty and already worn out, but I had replaced and restored the interior. I think most of us like to keep things in good condition, but unfortunately we live in a world where there is decay and our physics teachers would tell us there is entropy or the tendency towards disorder. So if we want something to continue to be in a good condition, we need to restore it regularly. Today we'll be reading about God's promise to restore his people, not only a periodic restoration, but also eventually a final permanent restoration. I pray that we will understand better how God is carrying out his plan to restore and how we can live in the process until his people are fully restored. The last time I preached, we started in the book of Isaiah with Isaiah chapter 1. Today we'll continue our study in Isaiah. We'll look at a big chunk from chapter 2 to chapter 4. If you remember last time, I mentioned that Isaiah's message from God to the people of Israel is that God will bring judgment. But God also promises salvation to his people. I also mentioned that Isaiah pointed to a Messiah which was fulfilled by Jesus as the way God will save his people. As we know, Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, a prophet's job is to call God's people, which is the Israelites, back to their covenanted relationship with God. Prophets in the Old Testament, like Isaiah, are actually not focusing, are not focused on predicting the future. They're simply focused on proclaiming a message that explains how the word of God already revealed in the past, like the covenant they had with the Lord, applies to their present situation. These prophets tell of the consequences of failing to uphold their end of the covenant with the Lord and remind the nation of Israel the promise that God has made with them, which God will fulfill. Before we go into our section today, I also want to give us a little more, a little bit more background on how to read the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, which is an ancient Eastern writing. So Isaiah is a Hebrew writer, and Hebrew literature, maybe some of you know, is very repetitive. Some of you might be familiar with Chinese way of learning, which can also be very repetitive. Chinese is an Eastern culture, so maybe it is like the Hebrew culture in this way. The repetition is just a normal pattern in Hebrew literature. To consider topics in a recursive manner or a progressively repetitive manner. They would begin a topic and consider from a particular angle, finish the conversation and start discussing the same topic again from a different perspective. So the book of Isaiah can roughly be divided into seven conversations, all centered around the same topic of transformation of God's people. The idea of transforming from the corrupt old into the glorious new. So last time, chapter one was the first repetition, looking at this transformation that God promised Israel to cleanse their sins and restore 
their hearts to save them from themselves. God's promise to transform their hearts to save them from themselves. And today we will study the second repetition from chapter 2 to chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, starting at Isaiah chapter 2. We will read selections from chapter 2 to 4 together today. But if you have your Bible, it will be helpful to skim the other portions as we go through them. Since I think all of us are locked down, even more important for us to train our mind on God's Word, especially when we are stressed with this confinement. Hopefully you found your way to Isaiah chapter 2. We will try to put select a passage from these chapters on the screen. So follow along on the screen or in your Bible, and let me read for us these selections. We will start in Isaiah chapter 2 first from verse 1 to 11. Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east, and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. And they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock, and hide in the dust. From before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of man shall be humble, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Let's skip over to Isaiah chapter 3, 1 to 5, and 8 to 9. Starting at 3 1. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem, from Judah, support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophets, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty, and the man of rank, the counselor and skillful magician, and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them, and people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow, and everyone his neighbor. 
the youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. Now skip down to verse 8 and 9. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bear witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Finally, let's jump to Isaiah 4, 2-6. 4-2 In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivor of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remain in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over, his, over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Wow, that last section is just so rich and powerful. We'll get to it a little later. First, I believe the main idea or the perspective that the section of scripture is giving us today is this. God will restore his people by cleansing judgment to God's glory. So not only that God will restore his people to God's glory, but God will restore by cleansing judgment to God's glory. God will restore his people by cleansing judgment to God's glory. We can divide these chapters into four sections, and this will be our outline for today. We will consider the main idea that God will restore his people by cleansing judgment to his glory recursively in these four ways. Number one, a picture of restoration. A picture of restoration from chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. A picture of restoration or an image of how a restored godly nation should function. And number two, the cause of rejection, which is chapter 2, verse 6 to 22. The cause of rejection. What sins committed by God's people causing their rejection or judgment which requires restoration? And number three, the consequences of sin. From chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 4, verse 1, the consequences of sin, or the results of sin that necessitate the cleansing. And number 4, cleansing to God's glory. Chapter 4, verse 2 to 6, cleansing to God's glory, or cleansing through the act of judgment to God's glory. We see our sections today starts and ends with hope in this divine promise of a godly nation filled with his people washed clean. In the middle, we see these obstacles of human sins, which are the reasons for God's judgment. The way the word judgment is used in this section is not 
just a neutral term deciding between one thing or another. But the word judgment is used here in the sense of pronouncement of guilt. Sentencing someone guilty and allowing the consequence of that guilty action or thought to carry out. So again, our main idea today, God will restore his people by cleansing judgment to God's glory. The first perspective we'll examine is from a picture of restoration. Isaiah first gives a picture of restoration. So if you look back in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days. I believe this latter days is referring to the millennial kingdom mentioned in the book of Revelation. Verse 2 goes on to tell us a little what this kingdom will be like. The kingdom will be lifted up and will be the most honored, and that all nations shall flow to it. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, the author John writes this. He says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. In Revelation, it says, Jesus will return to rule on this current world to reign with the believer for a thousand years. This is why scholars call this the millennial kingdom. Everyone who believe God by faith, which includes those Israelites who believe God's promise of a savior by faith, and also includes all of us who believe the work of our Savior, the, the, who, who believe the work that our Savior has done by faith on the cross, we can all look forward to this millennial kingdom. During this time, Satan will be bound so Christ and the believer can reign with perfect peace and justice. Even though there will still be sin and sorrow and death because this world is still decaying, but then if we look back in Isaiah chapter 2, um, chapter 2 verse 4, verse 4, it says, They will decide disputes, and there will be true justice and righteousness, and there will be no more needs of swords and spears, no more of these instruments of war for destruction. Instead, these instruments of destruction will be turned into instruments of cultivation plowshares and pruning hooks used for farming. At the end of this a thousand years, Satan and the unbelievers will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. Lake of fire is another way of saying hell. After Satan and all the unbelievers are judged, then our current world will pass away and God will usher in a new heaven and a new earth and fix that eternal state forever. If you are interested, you can read more about the end time and this new heaven and new earth in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. I think this will give you an even fuller picture of this final restoration. 
what we just read today, Isaiah is giving the Israelites like a picture of this restored nation during the Millennial Kingdom. Isaiah tells us this restored nation will be led by Christ with the believers and it will be a model and a guide for the nations. We look back at verse 3, it says, Many will come to learn of His way and His path. There will be direction through God's word and order through His righteous law. Now, in light of that picture, we see in verse 5, Isaiah let out this call to walk in the light of the Lord. I believe because of this great picture of, of the restored nation, which is God's people, all of God's people, not just the Israelites, but this picture of the restored nation is all of us who believe and is something that we should look forward to it. So some kids and maybe even some adults here could identify something like this. If you have a favorite stuffed animals for many, many years. So imagine one day you found the stuffed animal's arm had broken off. Now, would you like it more if the arm is sewn back and restored? Or someone just give you a new stuffed animal that is exactly the same? I think most of us will want the arms sewn back because you already had this stuffed animal for many years, right? It is your stuffed animal that you shared many memories with. You know, a new stuffed animal, even though it might be exactly the same, is not the one that you have spent many nights with, right? So, as someone who likes to see things restored, restored, I think this Millennial Kingdom is a little bit similar. You know, that, that I will be able to witness how a truly righteous nation could work in this world, you know, and not just, you know, giving in a new world. This picture of the Millennial Kingdom is a great comfort to me, knowing that if God preserves me to that day, that it is actually possible for a restored version of this world, and that this world will not just immediately be thrown away, but I get to experience this world restored for a thousand years. For many of us, maybe we see injustice, and we are resigned to that it is just how this world is. Maybe for some of us, we are frustrated that our work can never be fully satisfying the way we intend to be. Having a picture of this restore, of this restoration that God has promised, it is important for us to know that what we have now is not all there is to this world. Do you have a picture of your future destination in your mind? A view beyond death? Do you have a picture of a, a restoration in your mind? Maybe asking another way, what kind, what kinds of brokenness you know, do we struggle in? Bring them to the Lord and be reminded that it will be restored and made new that there will be a restoration that God has promised. Again, God will restore His people by cleansing judgment to God's glory. 
Let's consider this main idea a second time. Now that Isaiah gave a picture of that future restoration, he reveals the cause of the rejection of God's people by God, the cause of rejection. Why they are far from that picture of a restored nation and are being judged and judged by God. Instead of the restored picture of nations coming to learn from the house of Jacob, you know, the house of Jacob here is another way to say God's people, you know, which we, we read back in verse 3. So instead of nation coming to learn from God's people, the opposite is happening. That the house of Jacob is being influenced by the world. If we look at verses, verse 6, it says there are full of things from the east. They have fortune tellers like the Philistines and that they strike hands with foreigners. East here is representing looking outward into the world with satisfaction instead of looking upward towards God. And fortune teller is saying that they are looking for direction from fortune tellers like the Philistines instead of looking for wisdom from God. And striking hands with foreigner represents making agreement, making agreements with other nations rather than trusting God. And when we keep reading, instead of seeking provision from God, it says in verse 7, Your land is filled with silver and gold and treasures to no end. Instead of trusting God for protection, verse 7 further indicates that their heart is trusting in horses and chariots to no end. In other words, trusting in their own military might. And instead of worshiping the living God, verse 8 indicted them of bowing down to idols that they made, relying on and worshiping their own works. These are the reasons why God has rejected his people and have judged them guilty. At the root of it, the sin is haughtiness or arrogance. And it is this lofty pride that verse 11 tells us that caused his people to be rejected. These are the sins that cause the people to be humble and to be brought low. God judged them guilty of seeking direction, seeking provision, seeking protection, seeking worship apart from God. They have forgotten God and the covenantal relationship they have with God. They have also forgotten their place before God, that God is awesome with terror, splendor, and majesty, as we read in verse 10. And verse 11 says that the Lord alone will be exalted finally in that day. That the proper order should be God's people worshiping God so that God is glorified and the people are satisfied. God is judging and pronouncing the people guilty of being haughty and arrogant. So like John mentioned of the unrepentant people last week, that they are just thinking and focused on themselves. They're seeking self-made direction from fortune teller. They're seeking self-provision from amassing silver and gold and treasures to no end. They're seeking self-protection by depending on horses and chariots, worshiping idols, 
made by themselves versus says they bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. They're not remembering God's promise, which we can read in Exodus 6, 7 that says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You know, the people in their own pride think that they are above God, apart from God, and wanting to worship their own gods, not in need of God. Isaiah calls this the lofty pride of men. This is why they are judged and brought low. This is why they are rejected and humble. But really, behind God's judgment, behind this rejection, is rejecting the sins and also warning his people of the dangerous path that they are going down. The purpose is to help people realize that our place is not above God or to be our own God. And we need to repent if we are seeking direction, provision, protection, or worship apart from God. So what may be some of the ways we have also left God out, that we have not depended on Him. Maybe for wisdom, do we ask the Almighty WeChat moment to no end for direction and wisdom? Or for provision, is our reliance only on our investments to have a secure future on our retirement savings to secure our future? Or maybe are we like the godless nation, just dependent on military power of our nation to feel safe? And finally, do we think just like the non-Christian that we need to fend for ourselves. For believer, for believers, you know that that thinking that that we can only rely on ourselves is a lie. We don't need to chai or hoard and amass veggies for the lockdown. Yes, we need to be responsible and have food for ourselves and our family. But we need to also remember that we have God that we can depend on for our daily bread. Unlike those that doesn't believe in God, that they can only depend on themselves. So do we feel that we are rejected by God? Maybe God is rejecting us because of the sins and the dangerous paths that we are going down. God is desiring us to submit ourselves to Him. Are we still stuck and focused on ourselves? Self-pity? Self-loathing? Self-care? Well, I encourage us to turn to God and to His church. Look away from self. He is the true and lasting source of wisdom, of provision, of protection and worship.
Let's go to our third section. God will restore his people by cleansing judgment to God's glory. As sins are full-blown, here are the natural consequences of these sins. The consequences of sins. Many times we feel like evil and wickedness is not being punished. But this is only because God is delaying the judgment. It doesn't mean God will forget about it or will not provide justice. Other times, we do see God allowing the consequences of sins to unfold in this world. God takes away what people were not seeking from him. And we see this happen in our passage today. Earlier in chapter 2, verse 7, we see the house of Jacob filling their land with silver and gold and treasures to no end, filling with provision for themselves. Now, in chapter 3, verse 1, God takes away provision, provision of supply, bread, and water, because they didn't seek it from God. But they are not realizing that these provisions are from God. In verse 2, God took away mighty men and soldiers because the house of Jacob rather trusts in horses and chariots for protection. God also took away leaders to give them directions, judge and prophets to provide guidance because they rather consult fortune tellers for signs. These are just consequences of sin once God pronounced judgment. There are oppressions, disrespect, and dishonor, which we see in verse 5. It says, And people will oppress one another. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. Jerusalem and Judah are stumbling and falling as we see in verse 8. But what is important is at the end of verse 9, it says this, Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves, that this was caused by themselves, that they have brought evil on themselves. God pronounced the judgment of his people being guilty and did not withhold the consequences of these sins. What I mentioned earlier, behind God's judgment is rejecting the sins and the dangerous path that his people are going down. And God's heart behind that is the desire for repentance. We see that many do turn back and many continue to be faithful even though they suffer the consequences of other sins. But of course, even with these severe consequences of these sins, many still will not repent or acknowledge God. Verse 8 says, Their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, and they will continue to defy God. And verse 9 says, They don't even hide their sins. They openly proclaim them. They take God's mercy in delaying judgment as God is not present or as God will not judge. Back in chapter 2, verse 12, which we skip over in our reading together. It is clear that God has a day against sinners who will not repent. That day will be 
at the end of this millennial kingdom we talked about earlier. That all the sins will eventually be called to account. That there will be a day for final judgment. So, do consequences of our sins get our attention? Do these consequences drive us to repentance and dependence on God? Or do they drive us further into our own sins? Do they drive us to repentance and dependence on God? And we will need to be willing to be humble. It will require us to admit our sins, which require us to depend on God to ask for forgiveness. But I want to remind us of this. Just remember, however low that will feel, it will be the beginning point of restoration. So remember, however low that the humbling, the loss of pride, of needing to admit our sin and our brokenness of failure, no matter how low that it will feel, it will be the beginning point of restoration. Let's return to our summary statement of fourth and last time for today. God will restore his people by cleansing judgment to God's glory. I believe the final purpose of God's judgment is for complete cleansing of his people. So it is cleansing by the act of judgment to God's glory. Cleansing to God's glory. The way God accomplishes this cleansing is just so glorious. After telling God's people about why they are being rejected and what the consequences of sins will be, Isaiah again talks about the future. Chapter 4, verse 2, you look there, starts, In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And as we read further, we will understand that this, in that day, is referring to the new heaven and the new earth God will bring about after the final judgment. Revelation 20 tells us that after this millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign, God will throw the devil, God will throw death itself and anyone whose name is not found in the book of life into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever. But after that, it says the first heaven and first earth will pass away, giving way to a new heaven and a new earth. I believe this, that day, refer here in chapter 4, verse 2, is that new heaven and new earth. Verse 2 continues, that the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. So what is this? branch she's speaking about here. If we look at Zechariah 3, verse 8 to 9, it reads this. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave 
its inscription declares the Lord holds, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. So this branch there is referring to someone that will remove the iniquity in a single day. In other words, a Messiah that will come to save the people. This, of course, is referring to Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Savior who removed iniquity and stopped the perpetual pattern of sin and judgment in that single day when he died on the cross. Bearing the punishment of God's pronouncement of guilt or bearing God's judgment on all mankind. In Jeremiah 23.5, we also read of this branch. It says, Behold, the day are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This again is pointing to Jesus, a descendant of David, after resurrected from the dead, and after his second coming, he will reign as righteous king, not only in the millennial kingdom, but forever in the new heaven and the new earth. Again, going back to verse 2, we can understand that day is talking about the new earth based on who will be there. So looking at verse 3, it tells us that it is everyone who is recorded for life. And this is the same as what Revelation 20 tells us. People whose names are recorded in the book of life are not thrown into the lake of fire. Those who are the survivors who is left and who remain after God's final judgment. Now let me read verse 4, chapter um, 4, verse 4 for us. I believe this is one of the key verses God has for us today. So Isaiah chapter 4, verse 4. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstain of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. What this is saying is that in this final state, the Lord will have washed away all the filth, all the corruptions, all the decay, all the wickedness. The Lord will have cleansed from his people the bloodstains, the, bloodstain, the sins, the guilt, and all evil. And how will God accomplish that? Notice in verse 4, it says, It is by, by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. The ultimate purpose of judgment is the complete washing and cleansing and restoring of God's people through his act of judgment. And the verse further clarified that this spirit of judgment, also the spirit of burning, burning by fire represents the idea of purification. In other parts of the Bible, we, we read about burning away the dross as in purifying a precious metal, that this Judgment process is washing, cleansing, and purifying. So, I think we need to dig a little deeper. Because you might ask, 2,800 years ago, Isaiah told Judah and Jerusalem God's 
coming judgment on them. And it actually happened in the history of the Israelite in terms of war with the Assyrians and eventually taken from their land and exiled by the Babylonians. The nation of Israel was refined in this process. Wicked people was removed. Worship of foreign gods was removed. People turned back to God. They even returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. The temple for the Jewish people is the dwelling or presence of God. They were restored in some sense. But this seemed to have happened already in the past in Israel's history. If we remember, they were slaves in Egypt and restored to the promised land. And later on in Israel's history, they were being dominated by the Roman Empire. And even to our modern time, Israel seemed to have been restored as an independent state. That was declared in 1948. But we see that there is still much fighting and war around the nation of Israel. It seemed to be an endless cycle. That this is just an endless cycle of being judged and then restored. When we look at our world now, there is a major war going on between Russia and Ukraine. But there are also many other wars going on around the world between different people that are just not in the news. There is also a major COVID pandemic going on. We are suffering in the midst of it. But there are also countless diseases that causes suffering to millions of people each day. There is also major accident, like the China Eastern plane crash two weeks ago. Of course, we know that accident happens every day that claims life. What I'm trying to say is there will be repeated wars as a result of evil in the world. There will be repeated diseases as a result of brokenness in this world. There will be repeated accidents as a result of decay in this world. This cycle will be endless until our world destroys itself. Unless, of course, unless God does something, there needed to be one final judgment to stop this cycle. Judgment to wash away the filth to cleanse the bloodstain once and for all. And God's way of restoring his people is not just to magically make the filth and bloodstain go away. It is by judgment and it is by burning. If there is no judgment, there is no justice and no righteousness and no glory to God. If there is no judgment, there is no justice, there is no righteousness, and no glory to God. We have seen from history that judgment on man, on the nation of Israel, did not work. Judgment will come to cleanse his people from wickedness for a period, and then shortly after they fall into sin again. So this one final judgment had to be carried out on God himself in the form of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
the savior for not only the Israelites, but any human being. Jesus as an innocent sacrifice that takes our judgment on himself so we may be restored. Friends, those who have not repented and believed in Jesus, this is the good news you need to consider today. Jesus died on the cross for us to absorb the judgment and consequences of sin we should have received. You need to repent, turn from yourself and believe in Jesus' work on the cross by faith to receive his presence and guidance now and also to look forward to this picture of a restored future. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel we need to hold on to dearly and remind ourselves frequently. The cycle has been broken by Christ. That future Zion, which is another name for the protected place where God dwells with his people, is what God's people should look forward to. That future Zion, which is another name for the protected place where God dwells with his people, is what God's people should look forward to. Even if in this life we suffer not just the consequence of our sins, but also the consequence of our other sins, we will be rewarded with resurrection to reign with Christ on this earth for a thousand years, and afterwards be transformed to live in the new heaven and the new earth forever. Using what I share in the beginning as an illustration, if my little hatchback car was the world, not only will I be able to enjoy my restored hatchback for a thousand years, at the end of the thousand years, I will get a new car that will never decay and never need restoration. Let's look back in chapter 4, verse 5. It says, The cloud by day and smoke and shining of a flaming fire by night, that represents God's presence and is recalling Israel's journey in the desert coming out of Egypt. So God's presence will be over Zion. Verse 6 says, And there will be shade, refuge, and shelter for the people there, meaning that they will forever be protected from any harm. This is the glorious reality of Zion, of the new heaven and the new earth that God will bring about to restore his people fully and finally by the cleansing judgment that was poured out on Jesus. And all this to God's glory. And God's presence will always be with people as a shade, as a refuge, and as a shelter forever. Well, we should conclude. Today, Isaiah gave us a picture of a restored nation during the Millennial Kingdom. Isaiah also tells us the cause of the rejection of God's people and the consequences of their sins. Lastly, that God's judgment poured out on Christ will bring about perfect cleansing once and for all to bring God glory. Restore people of God to God's glory. 
restore to glory. This world will continue to be difficult with repeated evil, repeated brokenness, and repeated sins. But we can be encouraged, even in God's judgment, knowing it is His desire for us to be cleansed in order to restore us to Him. God's people can persevere because God's presence is in us, and the new heaven and the new earth is waiting for us. It is to God's glory He will accomplish this, so we can be assured that it is not dependent on fallible human beings, but on the infallible God who made this promise. I'd like to end today with this picture of the new holy city on the new earth that God promised to His people. Let me read for you Revelation 21, verses 22 to 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gate will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Brothers, sisters, friends, God will restore His people by cleansing judgment to God's glory. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, praise You for being the only one that will be exalted in that day. In that day, Jesus shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of everyone who has been recorded in the book of life. Father, help us to be humbled, dependent on you daily, while looking forward to that day when our hearts will be restored. And while we wait, Lord, help us to share the good news of Jesus and the picture of that future restoration with as many people as we can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.